0: Hey, I'd like to welcome you to the show. I've got a good one for you today. I'm your host, Troy Vermillion, and we'll be discussing some ideas around the importance of HR in the modern workplace. Uh, As someone who has uh, worked with nearly every size technology company, I know firsthand how vital HR is to the company's success. Uh, And in my years of experience, I've interacted with thousands of executives and HR leaders and have learned a lot about how the C-suite actually uh, and often perceives the HR department. So behind closed doors, many executives don't actually consider HR to be thought leaders or equals. Now this disconnect can lead to serious problems for a company, including the lack of communication, uh, cooperation between departments. And I believe it's essential for HR leaders to stay connected with the top of the organization and to be considered vital members of the team. And I do think that's changing. Now with the right approach, people operation teams can make make a real difference in a company's ability to succeed. So I want you to grab your coffee, kick up your feet, turn up the volume, and just enjoy this conversation. All right. My next guest is currently at the helm um, of the people team at a growing tech firm, uh, Fountain, where he really oversees Uh, the global team and responsibility for the company's core people infrastructure. This includes uh, people operations, strategy, experience, uh, and as well as as talent branding. So uh, now before Fountain, Connor actually served as the senior director of people at Volta Charging, which he was actually tasked with partnering with the senior leadership team to design a, a global people strategy for one of the most utilized electric vehicle infrastructure networks um, in the US. Now, before this, uh, in his days of leading people uh, for uh, teams, Connor actually spent many years uh, directing teams across uh, finance and, and business operation organizations. Now, this actually makes him uniquely qualified to, to, to really go deep into the subject we're actually going to be discussing today. So I'm super excited about it. So I'd like you to uh, give a warm welcome uh, to my guests joining me today. Connor Sweeney, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, wow! You covered that beautifully. So uh, amazing intro, and really excited to yeah, be man, here yeah, man, I'm with pumped. You,
0: uh, you know, we had a, a quick pre discussion um, about how we both feel about uh, you know people leaders, uh, specifically HR, having a seat at the table, and how important it is for corporate strategy, how important it is for organizational growth, and things like that. And before I actually jump into that. I always like to, you know, dive into to kind of more of, you know, some personal questions if if you don't mind. So, you know, f- from my understanding, you uh you'd like to travel a little bit and you've kind of been a little bit of a nomad <laughs> the last few years anyways, right?
1: That is correct. Yes, I think um if there's one small thing that's come from just the last couple of years of weirdness that we've all experienced is the ability to for me personally do my job from a right. lot of different places. So we've we've been well traveled the last yeah, couple of years. Yeah. That's fantastic.
0: Asked. I mean, it's something that I I wish I may have done a little bit more during COVID uh, cuz I, I think everybody felt a little more free to do that and I was working 100% remote um, at the at the time uh, like many people uh, but I wish I would have gotten out a little bit more. Unf- unfortunately, you know, travel restrictions and other things were were kind of a downside to, to COVID. But um, so, l- my question for you is a little bit of a, a quirky one. Um, so, since you are so well tra- traveled, um, I actually wanted to kind of test your critical sk- thinking skills as well as maybe your traveling skills. Uh, are you are you down for that for uh, uh, a quick second? All right, man. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, let's let's dig into it. Hopefully, I, I, I pass the you test. I think
0: you will. But uh, <laughs> I, I, again, I just, you know, get creative here. If if, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so if you were in a situation and you had to get to China without any money, what would you do? How would you do it? Walk me through it. <laughs>
1: What a what an interesting question. Um do I have the option or or runway to make some money between then and you know, the actual trip? I,
0: you could. I, I think that takes a little bit of it out of it, but I, I think you could. I, I would prefer that you get a little more interesting on like how you might, you know, quickly sure. make some money. Hey, you could rob a bank. I won't tell anybody you could you could find yourself, you know, asking uh, for money in front of a Starbucks because, you know, I think people would be like, I got to get to China. They might give you some money. Right. Um, and, you know, if you're just trying to get there, yeah. but, like, get, get creative with it.
1: Sure, sure. Well, there, there'd be a lot of irony in an HR leader <laughs> robbing a bank. So I will I will avoid that for now. But interestingly enough, so one of my absolute closest friends, is actually an engineer on large cargo ships. So he's been in the maritime industry for the last, uh, the last decade or so. And he spends actually probably half of his year uh, the year traveling between the West Coast and Asia. And so what I'd probably do is I'd give my buddy Nick a call and say, I'm strapped for cash. Can I crawl into one of the cargo crates <laughs> on your ship as a way... To get over to China, and the good news is, is that he oftentimes stops in more than just one location. So it would actually be a phenomenal opportunity to kind of journey my way through Asia uh, through cargo shipping. So I think that's that's probably the way I would tackle I, that. That's challenge.
0: exactly the kind of answer I was looking for. So I didn't I didn't think you'd go the the avenue of robbing a bank or trying to hijack a plane or something. Uh, nor would I condone that, but. You know, I, I'm glad that you actually have some connections in the in the uh, the cargo and freight industry that could get you, you know, from from point A to point B. So that's a that's a good answer.
1: My my conscience is far too sensitive for me to rob a <laughs> bank. I am I am considered to be one of the more honest people I personally know, and there's pros and cons to that, right? So so yeah, that would not be the direction that I take. But I am not. Adverse to hopping on a ship that I shouldn't be on to, to get to a destination I want. <laughs>
0: you know, to. and I, I think of robbing banks. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fun with Dick and Jane, but it's fantastic. That is such sure a have. hilarious movie. Like they're stealing people's lawns <laughs> in the middle of the night. That was I remember that scene. That was great. Um, anyways, so, uh, my next question. So I, I actually, uh, did a little bit of research as I always do. And, um, I found a podcast that was, I, it was a great conversation you did on the ramped podcast and uh, you were talking a lot about the future of work and, and how, um, you know, to, kind of incorporate what's happening and corporate strategy and how the the new uh, economy has, has changed the way opportunities and the way people look at work. And and I'm just curious, you know, as a people leader today and potentially, you know, five, 10 years from now, what do you see evolving and changing right now? And, and what do you think it's going to look like in a decade?
1: It's a great question. So, and that, and that was a A really great conversation that I had uh, on that podcast. And one of the things that I touched on that I'm still a firm believer in today is I think not just the tech industry, but every industry has really, I think, over-indexed and over-pressured themselves to confine themselves to this, are we a remote-first company? Are we hybrid? Are we in office? And... Look, I think the last couple of years has been challenging for everyone, and what we don't know is what we don't know. And the thing is, is even two and a half years later, there's still a lot that we don't know and that we're trying to figure out. And so this kind of thesis that I've developed you know, over the last, especially year or two, is that all organizations really need to take what I refer to as a flexible first approach. Um, Now, look, with that said, and and I'm part of an organization that truly is remote first. We do have a headquarters in San Francisco, um, but, you know, 99 percent of our organization is distributed all around the world and all over the country. Organizations, I think, really have to take a step back and ask themselves, what is truly best for employees right now and what is best for employees? And quite frankly, what has been best for people for a lot longer than just this pandemic era that we're living in? is the ability to give people flexibility where you can. right? So if you wanna be able to step foot into a WeWork or an office to interact with people live or get a project done, you should be able to do that. If you want to stay primarily at home and work remotely in your home office like I'm in right now, you should be able to do that. So organizations where they can really need to lean into this flexibility first mindset and stop worrying so much about the what category do we fall in? So I think over time, we're going to see more and more recognition of that. I think secondly, and from a kind of a people leadership perspective, the evolution of call it perks and benefits is a really interesting topic for for us in that community right now. When you think about specifically in the technology industry, what your average tech employee was optimizing for, from a day-to-day perspective with perks and benefits versus what they're optimizing Mm -hmm. for now, it's night and day. Now, look, as an organization, if you wanna offer amazing three catered meals a day and pay for exuberant experiences for folks and that works for you and that works for your balance sheet, great, that's amazing. But I don't think that's as important to people now than it was even just five years ago. I think there is this evolution of, one, people want to feel that the work that they're doing is meaningful. Hopefully, that's first and foremost the number one priority that any employee has, right? Aside from I need to make a good living, support myself, my family, what have you. And then two, I think if there's one thing that the last specifically two and a half years has taught us is we have a tremendous opportunity as a human race to really prioritize ourselves for perhaps the first time in a really long time. So obviously the topics around mental health and family planning and family care have become a much more prevalent staple in the way that people prioritize things as far as the relationship with their employer goes. And I think that's going to continue to become more and more yeah. prevalent as well.
0: I I And I agree with all of those things. I And I think you and I being kind of in and around the tech industry have the ability to kind of you know, see those things, and and one of the the biggest challenges I've heard is is for many of these organizations providing flexible work arrangements sometimes can can really be detrimental to their their success. So, you know, I, I guess contrast that for organizations that you know that do need to to have people kind of show up, and I, I know that you have uh, a corporate headquarters at Fountain, like people show up and they kind of come and go as they please. But you know, uh, for, for those of the, the organizations and industries that don't have that luxury, like what could some alternatives be? I'm just curious your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot mm-hmm. at, at our company, being that we are remote first, is this whole notion of what does a hubs strategy look like? The thing is, is that again, rewinding back to three, four or five years ago, A lot of companies that had more established real estate portfolios would oftentimes refer to their hub strategy as where do we have offices regionally? And that's kind of one component of it. But when you have a significantly distributed workforce as part of a remote first strategy, a hub strategy can mean a lot of different things. You know, One of the things that I feel that we're exploring really well at Fountain right now is this notion of how do we provide our fountaineers with the opportunity to get together and collaborate and socialize depending on where in the world you live, right? Because we have folks across almost 30 different states and over 10 different countries, um, but there are pockets of folks that are kind of more heavily concentrated, right? As a part of where folks are distributed. And so being able to really reinforce the importance of do what you have to do as far as working from home and taking care of your family and ensuring that you are taking care of yourself as far as putting yourself first in a working environment that works best for you. But if there's opportunities to pull people together on a regional level, to socialize, to collaborate, to get to know one another, the, the engagement, right. That comes from that is you can't really put a price on that. And so I think that's what I'm starting to see a lot of organizations that maybe have a, a heavier remote first workforce is really encouraging employees to tackle the opportunity to get together with folks in their areas. And I think that's, it's a really simple, but really powerful solution to, Hey, we don't want to go and build a $20 million office in insert state or country here, but once a month, here's a budget where everybody can get together and have that same experience. I think kind of secondly, and in line with that, um, you know, we've seen certainly great success over the last several years with, what co-working locations can do for both startups, but even large companies where again, there may not be a large enough employee population in a certain city to warrant investing heavily in real estate there, but how can we continue to tap into Colo and co-working locations as an opportunity to give people that option and that space to be able to say, wow, I've been cooped up in the house for the last six weeks on Zoom calls. I just need to get out and I need to go sit at a different desk and be around people and and kind of do the work that I do every day, but with people around me. And I certainly know that's important for folks like myself. I'm a bit more extroverted, versus if you asked my wife this question, uh, she would say, "Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm good working from home right now." So I think th- those are two very adjacent, but but you know, two solutions that I think yeah, work really no,
0: well. Fantastic points, and. I I do think you're right. Uh, You know, it doesn't make sense for somebody also, you know, to potentially, you know, be in the car four hours a day when they they could be working. But, you know, the 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 access to community is so important. So it might make sense for me like once a week to to get in um, and be around people face to face with. You know, enduring <laughs> two hours there, two hours back, but it doesn't make sense. Maybe uh, even practically from a efficiency standpoint, to do it every single day, and and nor do you need the the giant buildings. You can have kind of more common, you know, workstations where people can plug in from anywhere, and and that works now better than than uh, it did, you know, just five years ago. Um, I, I am curious. So you mentioned benefits and perks. You know, uh, traditionally tech companies have been on kind of the the leading edge of, you know, just uh, trying new things, kind of being a little more forward thinking, um, you know, having a little more, maybe margin to do certain things, you know, it could be like even site benefits. Like I I had Google as a client for, for many years and, you know, they had rock climbing walls and they had candy stations and they had people, you know, personal chefs and, you know, a lot of tech companies have followed suit with that. Not all of them, but of course, you know, it's kind of more of the environment and Um, you know, people don't want to go home at the end of the day because, you know, they've got everything at work. You know, they're sleeping there for goodness sakes. Um, And so I just want to get your feel for like, what are the benefits that people are actually looking for today? What kind of perks are are most important?
1: Yeah, look, I'll, I'll abstract tie this to an operating principle that I bring into every team that I lead or organization that I become a part of. And that's people teams really need to prioritize the notion of building with and not for i think and this isn't just an hr or people problem i think oftentimes when you think about broader gna functions whether it be the finance organizations of the world the people organizations there there is this perspective that these organizations are going to create a process or create a program and then they're going to just hand it to me and expect that i find a way to make it work as whether it be an engineering leader in the organization, a marketing organiz- a leader in the organization. And look, one of the things, again, that I think we've learned very quickly over the last couple of years is that there's a lot of scenarios where one size fits all just doesn't work. And I think you had mentioned this a bit when you were introducing me, but one of the competitive advantages that I think that I bring to the world of people is you know, I spent a lot of time in my career managing teams in finance organizations and real estate organizations and communications organizations. And so I found that I was a stakeholder to my now self Mm. a lot of the times. And so I take a lot of the learnings from that perspective, but also candidly, a lot of the frustrations that I had in engaging with people teams in this, here's a broad strokes performance management program that you're going to have to find a way to squidge into your broader team strategy, or here is a, you know, super universal job architecture framework that, you know, you're going to have to find a way to connect the dots to, right? So I share that because I I don't think it's a whole lot different to the opportunities that we have as people leaders to develop best in class kind of total rewards programs. I think if you really take the time to listen to your employees and get to know them and align with them on what their priorities are, you'll find very quickly that, perhaps a lot of the things that you're offering that you think are cutting edge and really critical to people, in fact, are not, right? And I can recall um, right around the time that the pandemic stuff started to heat up, I was working at the time for um, a, a really large B2B SaaS company that had all the perks and benefits you can think of, huge cafeteria, all the meals during the day, it was all free, it was all accessible. But I think what you found is that folks got into these newer ways, adjusted ways of working. Sure, like it's nice to have those things and maybe some missed it, but I don't think people miss those things as much as we think that they do. And so as I alluded to in one of the last questions that I answer, thematically, we kind of as people right now are focused a lot on the time we spend with our families, our health, family planning, um, mental health. Right. These are all the categories of things that are more and more showing up in engagement surveys or really kind of structured conversations that we as people leaders are having with broader organizations around what folks are prioritizing right now. And so, you know, I think that's what you're going to start to see a lot more showing up in kind of perks and benefits and total rewards packages is the you know, accessibility to, you know, the spring healths of the world or the carrot fertilities of the world or the reimbursement of gym memberships and wellness memberships. Like that's the stuff that's showing up now as really critically important. And for what it's worth, it is really critically important. And we have to support that.
0: I, I agree. And I could probably spend the entire episode on that because I, I really do think there's a lot to unpack there, you know, just the false beliefs that we have and, you know, the agenda that, you know, a lot of the benefit, you know, companies that exist out there are really pushing, um and some some people are really buying into it. So I love the fact that you're actually asking the question like, "Oh, what do you think? Build with instead of for?" right? <laughs> like uh I love that. Uh one thing that I can tell you, many HR leaders uh almost get stuck in their own belief system uh as well and they they're almost like, "No, our our people would never use that." I think that's the wrong approach too. Uh, they almost uh, you know are not thinking uh that th- things might change because it maybe it they wouldn't want it three years ago, but maybe they do want it now. And so you have to ever be, you know, communicating with your your people and asking the questions. Um, you'd be surprised how many things uh, they, they are actually interested in nowadays that they weren't previously, but, um, and it may not be a, a benefit per se. It may just be, a, you know, an opportunity to give them their time, you know, the time to do something that they're passionate about. Um, the kind of the, the five to nine things, right. right. That they love. Um, the things that drive us.
1: That's right. Yeah. And look, you know, it, it sounds so silly to say this, but people leaders need to spend time <laughs> with people.
0: <laughs> no. And I think
1: historically, because because of the confidential nature of oftentimes what we are doing behind the scenes and some of the more programmatic work that we are building in partnership with our stakeholders, I, I think people leaders sometimes unintentionally alienate themselves from the organization, because there's this kind of overarching theme that a lot of, I think, kind of people, practitioners will say around, you know, HR can be a fairly lonely place. And and sure, right? Like there's a lot of things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that we really can't talk a lot about. But when you start to think about the broad strokes, organizational health, total rewards and benefits, performance enablement, talent development, I fundamentally believe that you can't do any of those things really well if you're not spending quality time with the people in your organization. And it's not just spending time with the senior leadership team or spending time with you know middle management. It's spending time with everybody and being able to take a really informed approach, seeking to understand what works best for people is what makes people leaders the most effective that they can be. And again, I know it sounds super silly and kind of a contradictory statement around, well, of course, people leaders spend time with people. In fact, of the matter is, I've worked in organizations where people leaders don't spend time with anybody. And that's a problem. Yeah,
0: 100% agree you know, I, I, I think that uh, almost as a default, they'll lean more one direction or the other. And I, the unfortunate part, the most difficult part, I think, about the, the role of kind of the um, chief human resource officer, or the head of people or, you know, total rewards is that there, there's this pool from both sides. There's the, the pool to please, you know, the the the, the employees, the people, right? <laughs> and then there's also this this pool that you've, you've got to, you know, deliver on business objectives and, 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 and those things sometimes aren't always synergistic, right? They're sometimes like at odds. And I think we're moving towards, uh, you know, a better, uh, kind of more equal approach to those things for the benefit of the employee, um, but not at the detriment of the organization and, and vice versa. Right. Um, that didn't exist before it was almost 80, 20 where the, it was the business, benefits, right. And the employee produces, but doesn't quite benefit outside of the, the, the paycheck. Right. And, um, and that's why people I think used to die in their, their (laughs) fifties, right. Because they would work, you know, until they were 50 years old, uh, and they'd just die one day because it just, that there was no real balance. Um, and I think technology and, and some of the things that are going are, are giving us the freedom to step back and do more purposeful work. Um, and I think HR has a big part to do with that's that, right. right? Kind of um, balancing the the scales a little bit.
1: I think one of the things that's coming up a lot more in discussions I'm having with my peers as we talk about what are some of the, the common broad stroke challenges that people leaders are facing right now. I think one of the, the bigger things is managing expectations, as people leaders, we wear a lot of hats. We're supposed to be compensation experts, DEIB (laughs) practitioners, compliance gurus, performance counselors, location strategy experts, future of work researchers, employee engagement specialists, the list goes on. But all the while, we're also business leaders, right? Who are being tasked with making oftentimes really difficult decisions in partnership with other business leaders on a regular basis aligned with what is hopefully our fundamental understanding of the business needs. And like we hear this all the time that people are a company's greatest cost, equally greatest asset. And the parallel in that is it's critical for us to understand as people leaders, how a company's greatest costs are going to complement the goals of the business. And so I think it's just being able to take a step back and recognize that and having those honest conversations with your peers and other business leaders is just right now. And especially in 2022, the amount of kind of managing of expectations that people leaders are dealing with is it's unparalleled right now. I
0: think you're right. That's why it's so important that, you know, the the relationship between, you know, the, the human resource department and the rest of the executive leadership is so important. And that's actually one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is, you know, I, I wrote an article, um, it's going on about a year and a half ago and I'm probably going to revamp it because, you know, it, Based on what we've gone through, (laughs) I think there's there's some more to tell there. Um, But one of the the points I made in there is that oftentimes uh, and I think this is less so in technology and and more so in some uh, other industries. But uh, I I think sometimes H.R. doesn't get a seat at the table as often as they should. And and some of that is um, kind of uh, self inflicted, uh, not kind of taking the right steps to, to, to ask for the, the right to be there, kind of taking the initiative and, and some of the uh, strategy conversations and things like that. That's changing, of course, not fast enough in my mind, um, but also uh, how imperative it truly is that they have that seat because think about how much they're responsible for, you know, how many things can go right or wrong depending on what kind of leadership and strategy they're implementing Um, you know, from their side. So I'd love to hear with your perspective, especially with your background, right? Being, coming from the biz ops side of thing, from the finance side of thing, how imperative is that synergistic relationship between HR and the rest of the senior leadership?
1: It's, It's unbelievably critical. And the good news is that, relationship and that alignment and that seat at the table has become far more accessible to people leaders over the last two years than I think it ever has been. And I think think there's four reasons for that and kind of four philosophical components I have around that. I think first, some of the more progressive people leaders that I've worked with and, and worked for understand that they are business leaders first, business practitioners second. So Building an HR muscle with this philosophy at the core sets the tone mm-hmm. for everything else. And so I know as, as I'm hiring folks to come join my team, yes, we are a people team, but my expectation is that everybody on the team has the same fundamental understanding of the business as anyone else in the business, right? So I think there's there's been a, a forcing function around that philosophy that I think overnight has really fast-tracked and has become a core part of how a lot of really amazing progressive people leaders are operating. I think secondly, what's contributed to the seat at the table opening up more and more is data is a love language, (laughs) especially in the tech industry, as you know, and it is often the common ground that bonds all of your business functions together. And I think specifically over the last five years or so, the, the amount of capital that has been poured into the people tech space is absolutely incredible, right? And for two reasons. One, just, and being biased here for a second, how amazing is it that there's, you know, finally significant recognition of what good informed data systems and processes can do to enhance a company's people practices, right? Things around culture and engagement and performance and name you name it. There's a lot of infrastructure that's available out there now that wasn't just, you know, half a decade ago. But I think too, and what's most important to point out with this whole notion of data now being a more prevalent part of what people practitioners can do to be better business partners is people leaders are showing up to those business critical Mm -hmm. discussions with what I just mentioned, amazingly informed, solid data and metrics. And for a long time, I believe that there was this perspective that the data that a people person would show up with would be highly qualitative right there was this perception of lots of gray area feelings versus fundamentals and reality and so on and so on that really isn't the case anymore a well thought out people tech stack can provide that critical business insight that again I just don't think existed for a long time. And so that's been really helpful. And I think leaders across all the other business disciplines are very quickly recognizing that. And lastly, I just want to mention, too, that there's this proof in the pudding thing that happened right around the time of March of 2020. A catastrophic and enormously unpredictable global health crisis put people leaders in the driver's seat overnight. And guess what? A majority of them made it happen. Um, And if you think about where we are now, two and a half years later, from a kind of broad strokes, ways of working perspective, process perspective, the partnership dynamics between people teams and the rest of the company have become instantly stickier. Um, The challenges and the opportunities that the rest of the business is now coming to us as people teams with is greatly different than it was before. There's a lot more trust in the ecosystem because of this really unfortunate common bond that all of us have been through over the last couple of years. And then, you know, what that pivots into is what I mentioned earlier. Like being able to build with and not for has really become common core because we've all been working together in this really wacky environment for the last two and a half years. And so building with and not for is kind of standard now, right? And it's the expectations of the business that people leaders operate that way, but it's equally the expectation for, again, progressive, solid people leaders to want to operate
0: that way. Yeah, all amazing points. And I'm going to ask you for, for three three more points or technically four more points here. So I hope you're ready for that um, shortly. But um, I did want to ask really quickly. Uh, I thought this was really unique. You know, the, the technology industry right now is kind of a little bit over leveraged in some cases. A lot of the money has dried up because there's some, um, some belief that, you know, things are going to slow down and, and they've already started to slow down with inflation and other things. But when you look at the, the LinkedIn insights, specifically for Fountain, Fountain has actually grown in headcount by 12% over the last six months. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but it has to be more accurate than, you know, just, you know, taking a guess at it. Again, going back to the, there's more data, you know, uh, available to you to make really good decisions, um, you know, and that's directly in uh, contradiction to what we're seeing in the marketplace. Like over 50,000, I think, jobs lost at this point in in tech. And we know that'll come roaring back as quickly as it, as it leaves a lot of times. But what is... what is um, fountain doing so differently? What are you doing so differently? Uh, that's helping you fare so well.
1: Yeah, look, the, the world is pretty wacky <laughs> right now. And if, you know, I, I spend probably more time than I should watching the CNBCs and the squawk boxes of the world. And I have a tendency to drive myself actually crazy over this stuff, but yeah, things are, are really strange. And, um, you know, I think while we're seeing you know, what is perceived to be a significant amount of layoffs happening in the tech industry right now, I think for the first time in a long time, especially tech companies are being held accountable for results. And so if you think about the evolution of the way that kind of venture capital was being invested, call it five years ago versus today there's obviously a lot more accountability for organizations to prove that one, their product actually works yep. and exists. Because if you think about some of the anomalies, right, that I, I won't name any, but situations where we've had tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested in companies that don't actually have anything. Like, yeah, that's right. not ideal. And that's not a thing right now, right? The market is going through a lot of transformation and a lot of volatility. And for the first time, there's a lot of technology companies that actually have to be held accountable for performing and having a healthy balance sheet and a proper balance between their top line and their bottom line. There's a lot of organizations that have experienced significant amounts of bloat for far longer than they should have as it relates to hiring and really understanding what are the right roles that you need at the right time mm-hmm. in the right place. There's a lot of these fundamental questions that I think, and again, not just tech, but all businesses now are asking themselves again. And so while I don't at any point welcome massive market volatility, it's certainly sure. not good for my portfolio, it really forces important, pragmatic conversations to happen. On the fountain front, you know, look, I, and I, I don't think I talked about this, but we're about a 250 or so uh, global SaaS company, and we're really focused on opening opportunities for the global workforce. So we're focused exclusively on hourly hiring at scale, which is, as we all know, fundamentally different from a process perspective than hiring salaried workers. And we're at the helm of a really impressive, all-in-one high volume hiring platform that empowers you know organizations all around the world to find, qualify, and hire the right people. And so interestingly enough, right, if you think about some of the data we're seeing, Yes, there are plenty of jobs across the tech industry that unfortunately have been eliminated, but there's still really strong job growth, right? Across the board. Um, Now, when I think about the way that we think about growth, one of the things that I've been really impressed by coming into this organization is just this pragmatic perspective around sustainable growth. Because as we all know, especially Series C, Series D companies, There's this general statistic out there, right? Where a lot of software companies that raise hundreds of millions of dollars burn it almost as fast as they raise it. And I think certainly us and everybody else right now trying to work through and operate in a really volatile environment, we understand that one, we never wanted to do that in the first place, but two, we have to be really mindful around connecting the dots between the business strategy and how hiring connects to that. And I think one of the kind of favorite quotes that I have is from a Jack Altman, who's the founder and CEO of Lattice. He talks about kind of people strategy is business strategy, and we really need to stop thinking about the two as like separate entities. And I think what we're all going through from a, a macro level right now is proof that we have to stop thinking about those as two separate entities. And so... You know, people teams spending more and more time with business leaders, really understanding from an organizational design perspective, what is it that you actually need to you know, double ARR next year or hit that particular target or exceed your ability to launch a certain product? So, um, you know, Fountain, I think we prioritize sustainable hiring. We have really amazing and mindful leaders and fountaineers all around the world that care very deeply about our mission and what it is that we're doing. And I think just in general, companies are holding themselves more accountable for needing to actually be responsible with the capital that they have. Now hundred
0: percent. And you know, I, I, I believe that you know there are so many really amazing tech companies that, that exist out there doing the right things. But what usually happens, just like anything, there's always a reset. Like you know, we get everybody gets a little excited. You know, a lot of money starts flowing around, probably to the, some of the the wrong you know wrong companies with the wrong you know ideas that again maybe never come to fruition. Um, but you know it's not always bad for it's for the reset to happen unfortunately you know people are impacted by it but that's that's the way of life i mean we we look at just how you know the us uh just over the years has, you know you you, you kind of you know creep up you creep up and then there's a little you know sometimes a little or big crash um but you know it's just kind of the ebb and flow of things and you know tech technology is really no different right um so I, I love Correct. your uh, yep. your perspective on that. So last question for you. So, you know, I kind of prepped you with this, but, you know, if you were talking to your your peers, right, um, what are three things, if they want a seat at the table, right, and maybe they don't have it today, or maybe they're, they just started in a new organization, right, and, and they want to, you know, and, and this is leveraging your kind of background experience being on the other side, right, uh, from a... Uh, you know, biz ops standpoint, finance standpoint, like, what would you say? Like, what are three things that they should do? And maybe one thing that they, they absolutely should not do.
1: Yeah, I think the, and it it goes back to my little soapbox moment earlier, but I think first and foremost, it's show up and prove that you are a business leader first and a people practitioner second and find a way to strike a balance between the two to ensure that you are being the best business partner that you can be to the company. Secondly, is show up informed with all the data. Again, there is no excuse in 2022, and with the capabilities that we have as people teams today, the access to information that we have all around us, to not show up with data that's impactful and data that drives significant business impact and data that helps our business partners make the decisions that they're working on making. I think third is this notion of prioritize the philosophy to build with and not for. I think um, this goes for any business discipline, right? But when you've been doing something for a long period of time, we often get caught up on our Mm -hmm. own playbooks. Here are some things that have worked really well for me in role X over the last five or six companies in the last decade that I've been operating in this capacity. And there's a 2080 rule that I have to that, right? And so when you're joining a new organization, bring 20% of the really powerful stuff that you think can drive the business impact, align with the priorities of that particular business that you know is going to work really well, shed 80% of your playbook at the door and redevelop it aligned with the organizational values, the operating principles, the strategy, all the things. You're not going to get the fundamental understanding of the business that you want to get if you're just bringing one playbook into all of the stops along your journey. And I think you know the partnership organically that can be created with partnering with marketing and product and engineering and finance and all the different organizations to build really robust performance enablement programming, talent development planning, compensation philosophy. What it does is it organically holds everybody accountable to that programming. It doesn't become just a, oh, look what the people team implemented and either I love it or hate it. And that dictates the way that I work with the people team or how I look at the people team. If you're truly building these things with the business, everybody is accountable for the results. So I think those would be the three things that I I think really can give people leaders an advantage in the seat at the table right now. Um, and I think I already answered the earlier questions. What's one thing you don't do. Don't come in with the playbook from your last organization or your last sin thinking that that's going to be the fundamental way or the silver bullet to solving the challenges from the people perspective that your current organization has. You need to take the time to seek to understand. And I think because of how oftentimes, um, philosophical, the people space can be and kind of program based, the people space can be, especially on topics like performance and compensation, sometimes we lose sight of that. But in order to really embody as a people leader, the true culture and core values and operating principles of an organization is to immerse yourself in it. And the only way to immerse yourself in it is to partner with people in it so that you understand the fundamental ways of working in the organization.
0: Man, you answered that better than I, I ever expected. Fantastic. <laughs> and I, I think you nailed it. I think about yeah, this no, stuff I, a lot. I think you nailed it too. I mean, I, I've got 15 plus years of working with HR people. Um, and look, I, I've worked with, you know, the fortune, you know, 100, I've worked with the, the you know, the startup, uh, you know, HR, this is the first time they hired an HR person, Right. Uh, and, uh, like, look, that, that is some of the best advice I've, I've ever heard to to anybody really trying to, to bend the ear and, and get the attention of the C-suite. Because like, if you come in there expectant, um, you know, to, to kind of learn the business, but, but you've already got a, a really good foundation for, for what they do and how they do it. Um, and then you kind of come in intellectually curious about like, how do I do things even better here? Not the same as my last company. Cause that's what people ought to, they'll take their playbook. I mean, how many NFL coaches have done that, uh, to their own detriment? They bring their, their playbook and their playbook didn't work where they were at <laughs> and it's not going to work here, bro. You know, figure it out, keep evolving, keep, keep changing. Right. Um,
1: I think it's it's important too to recognize, and especially in the tech world and for, you know, series A, B, C, D companies where you, you oftentimes have a lot of influence from founders or folks that have been a part of the journey for a long time, but part of the journey from like the core inception through where you are now, you, you can't dismiss that. And because some of the things that, that I've seen in my career is you have really experienced operators who come into an organization like that and almost kind of look down on the environment as they don't know what they don't know. The fact of the matter is it's actually you that doesn't know what you don't know, right? And you have to be super mindful of that because some of the greatest organizations in the world all started from, in many ways, the same place. And a lot of things like culture are built organically. Culture is ultimately, in in my humble opinion, just if you translate it in the most simplest way is a set of behaviors that oftentimes guides the way you operate as an organization. It's really critical for us as people leaders to, especially that are like me, coming into an organization that's been around for a while, that's gone through a lot of change and transformation, but has a lot of core goodness, right? From a culture perspective, get aligned with that. Don't dismiss it and come in thinking that I'm going to scale it in a very different way. Learn from it, embrace it, make the tweaks along the way in partnership with the business where necessary. I've seen this particular scenario go wrong uh, many times, and it's sometimes too late to fix it. If you're digging too deep into the, well, I know better because I have call it 40 years of operating experience. And you're just a co-founder who's a visionary and an innovator. Don't take that for granted, right? The learning is two ways and some of the best partnerships that I've seen between people leaders and founders and founding CEOs, right, is really built on that notion of people kind of commonly coming to the table together to learn from each other. It's not easy, but it's really Imperative. important.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, good, yes. good points. Well, man, this was a good conversation uh, Connor and um, you know, I was, a, I always appreciate, you know, you know, when somebody, like yourself comes on here and really just spreads the some good news. Cause like, look, there's, there's a lot of good things to be focused on regardless of, you know, the economic, uh, you know, situation and so forth. And there's, you know, sometimes HR gets to be the the bad guy or bad girl, uh, you know, in the, in the scenario and that's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the unsung hero many times is your department. And so thanks for doing the the good work as well. Um, if people were looking to, to like connect with you, chat with you, follow you, or just annoy you, where would they find you?
1: <laughs> I I am an avid user and believer in the power of LinkedIn. So I am, I am probably on LinkedIn more than I should be. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting how this element of kind of social media and professional networking has come together. Uh, and what for me personally is fairly distracting from time to time, but I, it's my favorite platform. I love connecting with folks organically, having these types of conversations, providing guidance, equally learning from people. Um, so, do not hesitate to reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect over a cup of coffee, tea, glass of wine, whatever it is. Um, it's it can be really valuable, and some of the best relationships over the years that I've developed with you know, now mentors and friends have been developed very organically through those types of scenarios. So I agree. That's how we met,
0: man. So hashtag LinkedIn, man.
1: That's, that's and right. And connect with me as well. Connect with Connor.
0: Uh, if you liked what Connor had to say, if you didn't like what Connor had to say, make sure you boop the like button so you <laughs> you can uh, follow the comments and and stay connected. I think that uh, obviously if, if somebody didn't like it, it's because they're they're bitter or something like that because I, I thought it was all really good stuff and, and insights. Uh, and you weren't spitting <laughs> fire at anybody, so it was good. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, make sure you hit that subscribe button and, and just stay connected. You can find uh, the What the Tech podcast really anywhere you're looking Spotify Apple podcast you know uh, I'm sure that uh, Connor here will have his own podcast at some point so we'll make sure that we tag that when he when he starts his own because he's uh, incredibly qualified to do that Uh, but I I do appreciate you coming on here man this was a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to the next time we get to you know touch base and and, uh, reconnect my man.
1: Absolutely. No, Troy, I, I commend you for what you're doing here. Like looking forward to following your journey, and it's been a lot nice of fun. Time. Thanks for having me.